Welcome to the Game Changers podcast. We are your hosts, Associate Professor of Education and Enterprise, Philip Cummins, and prominent educational thought leader, Adriano De Prado. The Game Changers podcast aims to not only put a spotlight on the innovative ideas shaping the landscape of 21st century schooling, but to enter into a deep dialogue with those brave pioneers, the true game changers in education those individuals that don't wait for permission, leaders in education who are actually courageous enough to make real change in their learning community as they foster the growth of each young person in their care to ultimately thrive in this new world environment. These are their stories. Imagine having the opportunity to build a culture from scratch. Imagine having the opportunity to think about what a team will be and what it might become and to work with that team to craft a vision. Imagine having a background which is New South Welsh and Sydney through and through. I can't wait to talk with Scott Donoghue from Catherine McCauley Catholic College today. I know you can't either, Adriano. I can't wait. I'm excited. Let's go. Before we start our conversation with today's Game Changers guest, Phil, can you share with our audience a little insight into our Series 7 sponsor? Thanks, Adriano. Of course I can. We are proud to be partnered with EDAPT Education. EDAPT Education helps schools from around Australia bring together their academic engagement, wellbeing, intervention and student voice data onto one platform. Let your data work for you to improve the academic growth and wellbeing of all students in your school. For training and support to help you get started, visit www.edapt.education. That's www.edapt.education. Let's go. Well, Phil, it is so awesome to be with you again and uh, and also with our guest for Series 7, Scott Donahue. Just before we get to young Scott, Phil, how's your day been there in the People's Democratic Republic of Fitzroy? Uh, nothing has happened, Adriano. Nothing. <laughs> Bloody it sounds like it just sounds like a regular day in in, in the uh, detention center that is Melbourne. Indeed, indeed, and to everybody out there, let me out, please, let me out. <laughs> you know, you know what I've noticed, Phil, is that um, the moment you made the decision to move to Melbourne, we've gone into our fourth lockdown. I don't think the coincidence is just a coincidence. No, and given that I was given that I was there for the first and second ones as well too, I'm beginning to feel victimised. And because I feel victimised, because there's a massive chip on my shoulder, clearly I'm becoming a Melbourne resident, aren't I, Adriano? And fitting in perfectly into the loopy world of Fitzroy. Anyway, enough of this nonsense. Let's get to our wonderful guest. Scott, it's wonderful to have you with us today on Game Changers in Series 7. I'm going to get to our very first question, Scott, and it's a question we ask all of our Game Change guests, and that is... Tell us about your story and how you've gotten to where you are today. Yeah, sure. Thanks, Adriana. Thanks, Phil, for having me. Um, my story, I'm a, a Wagga boy initially. Grew up in Wagga and went away to a boarding school in, in Sydney, St. Joseph's College at Hunters Hill, so um, a Catholic boarding school. Uh, and I think um, from there initially, I, I really wasn't sure what I wanted to do, but it basically um, getting close to, I, I guess, putting those applications into university. My father said to me, what about teaching? I thought, I think I'd enjoy that. So from there, I went into PE teaching. And uh, as years have evolved, I've really taken an interest and developed a passion for leadership. And uh, having left Joey's, I had a couple of years overseas, traveling as, as a young bloke and uh, lived in America and played a bit of rugby for Newport, Rhode Island, more social than anything. Lived in, uh, in London and the UK for, for a year and, and taught and, and traveled. 
Uh, then came back and I ended up back at, at Joey's working there. And uh, I really, I think, developed a love of working with young people in terms of working in a boarding environment, what a privilege that was to actually be allowed into the lives of these, these uh, young men and to have that, um, that opportunity to make a, a real difference uh, to their life and their lives. So essentially, that's where I began to understand the, the value of relationships in education and just how important relationships are. So some of the best relationships that I developed actually, Joey's, were through my time in boarding and through my coaching. And that was when I really got to know those young men and developed that trust, you know, and, and that respect, I think, from there. So one, once I had eight years at Joey's at Hunters Hill and looking after year 10 boarding for about half of that, and uh, that was a fairly senior role within that school, um, you replace the old Morris brothers who typically did that in the past. So I was very much a 24-7 role. Um, my family uh, lived on site. And then essentially um, in living on site, basically um, we started having a young family. Uh, the hours are pretty long. Uh, you've got to love what you do because it's seven days a week, including the coaching and the boarding and, and, and the teaching. Uh, but it got to a point, I think, where the boarding had a bit of a shelf life there and I was ready to move on. And we went over to Switzerland for a couple of years. So... I left um, a, a school, an all-boys school, passionate about their rugby, passionate about their sport, and I went to Eglon College in Switzerland, in uh, Bilicerolon, it's in a French-speaking area. Um, I took my, um, my, my wife and my two little girls at that stage, and I, now I have three. I took my dog, my boxer dog, Ned, uh, which was very interesting living in, um, and lived, basically looked after a, a boarding house of girls. So uh, roughly 40 to 50 girls, from all over the world, literally. Um, and we lived in an apartment there at, at an altitude of about 1,300 metres. And then on the mountain itself, it went to about 3,000 metres. So a really unique experience. We could actually see Chamonix Mont Blanc from our balcony. Uh, so it's a very beautiful area. To say it was a cultural shock on many levels is, is, um, is an understatement. Uh, having gone from an all-boys rugby mad school to uh, um, looking after a girls' boarding house. but. Personally, professionally, that really challenged me and, and, and uh, absolutely loved the experience. So really unique experience. Very wealthy school. I think, you know, um, worth around about 80 or 90,000 francs a year. So really unique. But what I realised there, I was really hit home to me actually there, was that a lot of these girls with enormous amounts of money and from tremendous wealth, I didn't hear much from their parents. And I was really interested in that. But basically, they were, they were put in this boarding school and I didn't have much contact with them. But what I understood over time the value of presence. And so often I'll be out there talking to the girls and became very much a father figure and my wife became a mother figure. Uh, but I just learned over time that just that value of presence and that and, and just being there, how important that was. So when we decided to leave, um, oh, there were tears and, and carry on. And all these sorts of comments came out that indicated that we developed these relationships purely through our presence and taking an interest in getting to know the girls. So that's really influenced me in terms of my leadership style. When I came back to Switzerland, I got a job at Knox Grammar School uh, in Sydney, on the north shore of Sydney. And I went into, essentially, we started a, a, a new boarding house there. So um, Knox is a well-resourced school, uh, does particularly well in the HSC and, and uh, quite traditional in many regards, but also very innovative in many, in many ways. Um, so we had a bit of time there, but, but uh, I had a craving, I think. I realised that in Sydney with... Two young girls and, and we had a, a third girl. I had a, a yearning to get back into the Catholic system. I've been out of it for a while. Um, so from there, I, I moved to San Clemente at Mayfield, a year seven to 10 school as an assistant principal. 
um, and eventually became the principal there. Um, but I really missed, I think, uh, a deep sense of values and deep focus on community in, in a Catholic school. So the values underpin all that you do. And I, I miss that. So I miss that real sense of belonging. And perhaps that was my upbringing in terms of being brought up in a Catholic family, having attended Catholic education throughout my life. But, so yeah, so went to San Clemente. San Clemente Mayfield uh, is traditionally a fairly, um, uh, it's, a, it's a lower SES clientele base there. Uh, a real mixture of kids and also very multicultural. Uh, I learned that having gone from an independent school to um, the Catholic system with a real mixture of kids that had to change my style of leadership a little bit in terms of things aren't black and white so much, but actually there's a lot of grey, uh, particularly in, in, in dealing with um, you know, the kids and the issues that I dealt with as an assistant principal. Uh, and that was that was where, again, one, again a genuine privilege in being allowed into the lives of these kids and understanding their stories and how these stories influence their behaviour, their attitudes to school. From there, uh, I, I was loving my time there and, and I, I felt a great uh, love and respect for the community. But this, this new school, Catherine Macaulay Catholic College, was floated. Uh, it's a new school in our diocese. It's about half an hour north or 20 minutes north of Newcastle. And it was starting from scratch. And I thought, well, there's a a completely unique opportunity I may never ever get in my career. And what, what an amazing opportunity it would be to build a school from scratch and have a blank canvas. So, so we, we're going to talk about that in a moment, uh, yep. Scott. It's, it's interesting just sitting here listening to your journey, a journey that has taken you to very different contexts, contexts that has pushed you and your family uh, who've been on this journey with you outside of your comfort zone and then back into your comfort zone and then outside of your comfort zone again. And I feel that that's a really powerful example for our listeners out there who have aspirations when it comes to leadership within school settings. And the more opportunities they have, like the students in our care, to immerse themselves in different contexts that really continue to challenge them. And then through the power of reflection, we, we get to really understand ultimately the type of educator and leader we aspire to be and obviously become. What's also really clear in listening to you is the impact that the Marists and the Marist school has had on you. I mean, we, you know, you and I are both, you know, people who, who have deep affection for the Marists and I can really see those values of simplicity, presence, love of work in the way of Mary and, of course, family spirit coming through really strongly in, in what you're sharing with us today. So much of a journey to start something new has to be grounded in our values and that value proposition of ultimately what we believe and what we aspire to become, not only for these young people and what we'd like them to become, but for ourselves. So there's this kind of whole approach. Just towards the end of your answer there, you touched upon the attraction of this new learning community. And so that's what I want to go to right now because it's been powerful for you to share with us that so much about your being and the way in which you do things is value-based and, and that keeps drawing you back, you know, into a school setting because, because there's a deep sense of purpose around that that is that is beyond just you. You know, it's, it, it really speaks about the other and I, and I love that. Thank you for sharing that. Perhaps just share with our, our listeners a little bit of what this journey of starting a new school from scratch actually looks like from settling on what that mission is going to be to curating the right people to help support, you know, that particular message and narrative, everything from the pre-work to the actual first day when the kids arrived and you went, it's real now. Yeah. Look, and just, you hit on a really good point there, Adriana, it was about getting yourself outside your comfort zone. And that really resonated with me because that's where 
you really experience great growth, personal and professional growth. And I'm a big believer in that. One of our college values is courage. And it's something that I continually encourage our kids to do is to get themselves outside the comfort zone. And that's where I have learned so much. So that, yeah, I just want to pick up on that point because I think that's a really valuable one. And often teachers, human beings in general, can get really comfortable. But for a teacher, we've, we've appointed a bunch of teachers here and, and uh, we've got a young teacher here who actually got a scholarship in our diocese but decided to go to, to a rural area and teach. And that really impressed me in his application because he got himself well outside his comfort zone. So I just think that was a really good point. And particularly with the values, um, being an ex-Maris boy, those values have, I believe, shaped me personally as, uh, as a human being. Um, in many ways, it's, it's had a huge influence on me. So me being in a, a principal of a foundation school now, what a privileged position it, it is for me to bring those values that we nail to our wall and to bring those values into the day-to-day life of our college and to influence our young people and our families as well. Um, so that's, that, yeah, I just thought they were two really important points. But look, I, I had two years preparation. Our school was delayed by 12 months. Um, a whole lot of uh, planning issues um, that were unforeseen. And uh, so it gave me a long time to prepare. <laughs> and um, and I really did miss being a part of the community. So I said, there's a double-edged sword there, but look, it was a privilege to have that time. Uh, and I reached out to a lot of people and I got thinking deeply about what, what's the purpose of school. And that's a really interesting question. So essentially, as, as time moved on, I thought, what are we really trying to achieve here at Educating Young People? Is it about standardised testing? Is it about assigning a grade to them and labelling them? Or is it about really empowering confident, agile, reflective learners? And that's our, that's our vision statement. So our vision statement is empowering a mercy-inspired community with Catherine McCauley as our founder. So empowering a mercy-inspired community of confident, agile and reflective learners. And we have unpacked those words deeply. And our mission to co-create learning environments where faith, purpose, fulfillment and joy are experienced by all. So that vision and that mission, or that vision we actually call our moral imperative, very much um, I like the work of Thorne. And we have really worked hard to have a direct line of sight with our vision and our mission in all that we do. And in education, there's a lot of ornaments out there. It's becoming very commercialised. But does the ornament get on your tree? So all the decisions that we make need to come back to our vision and our mission, and we need that direct line of sight in everything that we do. So that's been really powerful for us. It's been really powerful in terms of, so last year, basically, my second year of planning, uh, our system was very supportive in that they appointed an assistant principal to work with me. So I had 12 months with Peter at the Raymond Terrace, a a commercial lease in Raymond Terrace. And Raymond Terrace is one of our feeder zones, St Bridget's. Uh, and what was really important for us, then, and, and Peter, I found that um, there was a real synergy with Peter and I in terms of value of relationships. So as far as our community went, being in one of our key feeder zones, being amongst the Raymond Terrace locals, going to Woolies, going to grab your coffee of a day, and you would meet the parents. And just having those, developing those relationships, being personable, um, really started to, I guess, sow the seeds of what we're trying to build here in terms of a thriving learning community. So that was really important in terms of connecting with our community. And as I said before, I think with leadership, it requires presence. So what we worked hard on last year was actually having community events. COVID certainly got in the way, but we, we were resourceful with that. And whether it be through our Facebook meetings or whatever it may be, 
but connecting with our community and not just connecting, but connecting in a very authentic way. And I think one of the Mars qualities, Adriano, is that you need to give of yourself. And so in giving of yourself, sharing your values, sharing your story and dropping your guard somewhat, people relate to that and people see an authenticity uh, and they can connect through that authenticity. So that, that's been really key for us. When we have our parent gatherings, Peter and I make a, a concerted effort to actually be relational in style. We don't have to be ready for the script. We have a bit of banter, um, there's some humour, but there's also a level of professionalism. There's also a communication of what our vision is very clearly for our parents and the understanding that we do set high expectations for our young people and we do challenge them to meet those expectations with support. But our parents have responded well to that and that relaxed style, I think, builds a sense of confidence and a sense of trust with your community. Scott, I want to pick up on that notion of your relaxed style, if I can. In fact, I've got two questions for you here, one of which is about leadership and one of which is about curriculum. And really, they're about the opportunity to do something from scratch, which means that you can do things differently to an established school. And it's one of the things that we know about founding a school is that you have that opportunity where you're not clashing with an existing culture, but you can just build what you need to straight away. And I alluded to that in, in introducing you today. Let's talk about leadership first. If I look at your career, and um, it's lovely to see the shared Maris connection with Adriano there. There might be some rugby, there might be some boarding, there might even be Knox Grammar School in there that you and I have in common. What I see in your career is you modelling exploration of yourself and exploration of the world for others. And that's, that's what your career says to me, that you're going on a journey of exploration and encounter and discovery. I'm interested on what you believe your model of leadership is on a day-to-day -day basis and how you share that with your colleagues. Because, you know, from our research, we found that most principals, although they think deeply about their leadership, never actually stop to say, well, this is my model and this is how it's put together and this is why I do it. So what is your model of leadership and how do you share it? That's a good question. Um, I think it's very much underpinned by relationships. And I, I had a good mentor once and he said, Scott, I've got three words of advice for you. Relationships, relationships and relationships. And I've never forgotten that. I think some principals worry about dropping their guard a little bit at times. Uh, I don't. Because I think if you need a hard conversation, you have a hard conversation. Um, and you play the ball and not the person. Um, and that's that's an attribute of leadership, having those difficult conversations. But that often they can be, they can strengthen your your relationships. So my my model is very much based on a visible presence. Every day I get into the classrooms, I speak to the kids, I speak to the staff. Every day I try to get out there at break time and connect with the kids. Um, most afternoons out the front, Peter and I go to our bus duty. So we've got a, quite a big entrance and the, the pickup zone. Uh, one of the things that we, we do is I actually open the car door for the kids. So it's kind of ended up in a bit of a ballet service. But to me, that indicates that there's uh, humility. And my model of leadership is very much based on servant leadership, particularly as a faith leader. I am a servant for this community. Um, and sometimes I actually don't feel like a principal. I don't regard myself in a hierarchical fashion that I'm the top in any way. And one of the books that we, um, in terms of building culture, is a book called Legacy. And Legacy is written um, by, I think it's James Kerr, a New Zealander, and it's about the All Blacks. Now, put aside the fact it's about rugby, and I love rugby, it's not about sport. It's about culture, and it's about leadership, and it's about being a part of a team. And one of the comments and what, or the sayings is, is uh, to sweep the sheds. 
And basically with the All Blacks is that essentially they'd have their key senior players, once they come off a game, they all go around and have their turn, all the admin staff, the support staff, and they talk about the game. Well, that was good, but what can we do better? At the end of that, the senior players, the captain and so on, stay behind and clean the sheds. And to me, that resonates really strongly because going back to that value of humility that you're talking about, you know, the, the mask qualities, Adriano, I'm a servant leader and it means that I do the dirty work too. I'm not afraid to get my hands dirty. I'm not afraid to actually pick up the rubbish. I'm not afraid to do the small things. Now, I think that's really important in leadership is that you, you demonstrate that work ethic, but you know, you're not above everyone else. And we're actually trying to develop a flatter style of relationship here. We've got a principle, it's just a principle. We've actually designed a new role within our diocese as a head of house. So a head of house will eventually have three heads of house across each stage, stage four, stage five, stage six. And our leadership team is a flatter model. So I want to build the capacity of our leaders to really step up, to really meet those responsibilities and feel and know that they're actually shaping the direction of this school. They're custodians of the culture of this school. So my model of leadership, I, I would say, hopefully people would say about me that I sweep the sheds. There we go. I absolutely love that. Absolutely love that notion of sweeping the sheds. And it's about culture, isn't it? So, Scott, thank you for sharing that. That's really, really helpful and a, and a really practical insight into what you're trying to do with the day-to-day thing. It's interesting that that head of house position, isn't it? Because it's actually one of the oldest leadership structures in the type of schooling that we do. It's been around since the 18th century in the English public school system. So it's not necessarily that the best idea is always the newest, but sometimes an old idea in a new application can be just as refreshing and and just as innovative. And, 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 you know, one of the things that we talk about when we talk about adaptive expertise which along with self-efficacy is, if, if you like, the two qualities that can help you thrive in the world. That adaptive expertise is, part of that is making the choice between that which is new and that which is existing and that which is old and finding the right solution for the right mix and, and being prepared to mix it up along the way. Let me take you to personalisation. This is a big thing for you guys. You're aiming to deliver a highly personalised educational experience for each student. You're trying to ignite their inner passions, inspire their creativity and purpose and develop the skills and mindsets needed for their future. I want to dig down on this a little bit because I don't think personalisation in schools happens because of technical expertise. You know, it's a little bit like the ICT thing that we learned last year. We spent 30 years telling the profession that uh, we couldn't possibly do ICT. Then we turned around and did it what, in a week, in a few days, in a day, in some cases, and we've made it work and we've thrived. I think personalisation is the same. I think personalisation is about building a culture amongst our teaching staff, which says that in the words of the inimitable, the OG ADP, every child is home to a life and therefore needs to be treasured just as much as everybody else. That if you work from that basis, then you are prepared to personalise what you do. You're prepared to individualise it, to differentiate it along the way. It's not about the technical work. It's about the heart work that says, I want to do this because this is what I should be doing. This is what we should be doing. How are you building that culture? I completely agree, Phil. And and, um, as I said to our staff at the start of this year, is that every young person that walks into our college at the start of the day has their story to tell. And you don't know what's gone on at home. You don't know what they've walked away from. So we need to honour that story. And we need to honour the dignity of each individual that we care for. I'll take that even a step further, though, and I said to our staff team that every staff member has a story to tell. You don't know what they've walked away from that morning or that night. So I think we need to honour the dignity of our individual staff members as well. 
it's not a culture of, um, I guess, you know, some of these private corporations and so on, who leaves last and so on at the end of the day. It's a culture of actually recognising and, and acknowledging that each teacher is a professional and respecting that and respecting the fact that they've got their own lives. And we also need to be caring for our staff as well as our kids. It's almost like caring for the carer. So whether it be they go home and they, they sort out their domestic duties, their kids and so on and do work later on, but let's let's um, break the mould of, you know, we have to stay behind every afternoon until a certain hour to show that you've got a work ethic. No, that's not right. Because there's smarter and more effective ways of doing things and also caring for your community. So getting to know the individuals at a personal level, I think is key. It's key to the relationships. Um, we're, we're doing 100 minute learning sessions, which has been a, a, an enormous success here. And one of our norms for our teachers is to every single learning session, get around and have a conversation with each individual child and ask and check in with how they're going. So that allows that time for that to take place. So you're right, the personalisation is actually, it, it all comes back to relationships. It's actually getting to know the kids and getting to know the staff at a personal level. And, and, and that to me is personalisation. So in getting to know the kids, you understand where they, what their interests are, what their passions are, how they learn best, and you can connect with them. So that, there's a differentiation, you know, there's a lot more to it, obviously, but that's a starting point, and that has to be the starting point. It starts with, with that foundation of quality relationships. Okay, so I, I just want to take this one step further because in terms of what you're talking about there, there's a very big step that people have to take, and that step is to say that we value that individual relationship so much that we are prepared to do the work of getting to know people, to do the work of enhancing a standard education by adding value to it. So you are bringing value to a relationship. It is tangible. And not only do you expect to see an investment in time, but you see an investment in love. And for that, you should see a reward in outcomes for students. How do you hold people accountable to that? Because this is, this is high performance learning and it's hard work to do. How do you hold people accountable? It's, I think it's, um, again, coming back to your vision and having a consistency in approach and being relentless with what your key priorities are as a school. So we're in stage four, year seven and eight. We've started with year seven and eight. And we have taken the approach of formative assessment only. We have uh, taken the approach of having every single learning session, having clear uh, deconstructed learning intentions and co-constructed success criteria having those big eggs, so to speak, in your community, but making sure that you always tie that back, that back to your vision, but you are consistent in your communication, your messaging to your staff. Another one is we, we have meeting norms. All our meetings have five norms. And I think sometimes one of those norms is hard on ideas and soft on people. And I think sometimes as teachers and as educators, we shy away from the difficult conversations. But that norm of actually challenging each other and challenging ideas is really important. So those conversations need to, need to be taking place. If we're going, our culture is not about accepting what we're doing. It's a, it's, a, it's a constant process of improvement. So we need to be reflective in our practice. We meet with student focus groups to get their feedback. But we need to, we need to be honest with ourselves. Is what we're doing working? And if it's not, what do we need to do to improve that practice? So, you know, our, our norms are really important. One of the other norms that we have is actually as we share uh, trust and confidentiality matters. 
um, you know, that's really important too. So that allows for those conversations to take place to improve your practice. So we certainly, we stick to our key priorities. It's only last week that I actually sent a memo out to staff to say, we're almost six months into our journey here as a foundation school. And let's go back to our annual plan. These are our key, our key areas. Let's reflect on where we're at in those key areas. And let's reflect on where, how, how do we improve, how do we keep raising the bar? So that, that flows into your meeting structures or your professional learning teams. To stick to your key priorities at all times and to challenge yourself and to challenge each other to be continually become better at what you're doing in the, in the classroom. So Scott, I just want to jump in here. I want to push this a little bit further because everything you're sharing with us at the moment is fundamentally about every individual and the collective knowing themselves because that has to start at the beginning. That has to be everything. And, and so much of this notion of knowing yourself is at the center of your school's mission about unlocking one's true north. Why has your learning community placed understanding who they are, what the world around them means as a key aspiration for not only the young people in your care, but the adults that support them? Well, it's, it goes back to that question I mentioned at the start is what, what's the real purpose of the school and what's the real purpose of what we're doing? Um, and I think we always have to come back to that. So essentially, the passions, interests, and strengths of our, of our young people, we need to unlock that in them. Sometimes they don't know what they are, but in providing the opportunities for them to actually pursue their passions whilst at school and putting the structures in place to ensure that they have the opportunity to explore beyond the traditional curriculum, that opens up a whole new world to them. So for instance, we've got a, a very passionate music teacher here. And I've seen in her classes and I've, I've heard some boys say to me, I didn't realise that I actually like music. It's opening up a world, a new world for them in terms of they don't realise sometimes what their passions and interests are. Mm -hmm. So it's really what we've done is that we've actually done a think big survey for our year eight students. So moving into years nine and 10, the curriculum can open up a lot. We don't have to offer traditional electives. So we've actually collected this, uh, information from our year eight students as to what are their real passions and, and what are their real interests. What would you study if you had the chance to at school. And we've got a whole lot of feedback there and we're identifying themes and we're wanting to provide that for our kids next year. And we're wanting to take that next step and actually co-construct that course with them. So really including them into their learning journey. So they have a sense of agency and ownership of their learning, not ours. And they're pursuing the passions and interests that, that, that they, they really want to follow. We can move away from this traditional sense of having to do so many hours for mathematics, having to do so many hours for you your English and so on. We stick to indicative hours at this point in time for our, for our NESA, but there's a whole new world out there with all these other hours. How can you better use these hours to actually tap into the strengths and the real passions of these kids? Because engagement, as we know, you hit particularly years eight, nine and 10, and the levels of engagement in our education system now are incredibly alarming for me as an educator and for me as a father. Yeah. So as a new school, we've got the chance to be a little bit creative with our timetable and what we offer. We're not having to undergo change management. We made our vision really clear when we recruited. This is what we're doing. So if you want to be in the bus, apply. As a result, we've got some quality staff, absolute quality staff who are bought into that vision from day one. Uh, so we really wanted to increase the offerings for our kids in terms of what, you know, what's, your, what's your personal choice in what you want to study. 
don't get me started on, on the conversation around time, you know, because I think I'll be on a rant for hours and hours because uh, I, I have a particular philosophy around that time is so fluid these days that, that it's often uh, our binary thinking of, of structures and timetables that mm. seems to be the stumbling block to unlocking time for adults as well as the young people to really thrive in, in, in work and learning and living and, and, uh, and leading in every aspect of their life. But I just want to interrogate this kind of line of thinking a little bit further around something you just touched upon. And that was the notion of learner agency. We're big believers that self-determination in school communities is crucial to designing a, a better normal of more independent young people so that we move from the position of resilience of surviving to the position of resourcefulness for thriving. How do you, in your school community, increase a, a commitment to student agency and self-regulation? That sense of genuine agency, they own their learning. So how do we do that? So recently, an example of that, uh, we've moved away from the parent-teacher interviews, which we feel are, are speed dating. And often you don't have the, the students there. You don't have, you have the teacher that does most of the talking. You've got five to eight minutes. Is there real value in that? I, I don't believe there is. So we've moved to what we um, uh, call our learner-led conferences. And only two weeks ago we had those and, and, and overwhelming feedback was incredibly positive. So our young people have been prepared through their learning advisor sessions every fortnight to actually come along with two subject areas, bring evidence of work that they're proud of, to talk about their learning to their family and to identify an area of need and what are the steps in moving forward. And what we've found from that, we had some parents leading in tears in terms of I, I'm blown away by what my child can do and how mm -hmm. they can articulate their learning. Mm -hmm. Now, I didn't know that they had it in them. Mm -hmm. um, we've had young, um, we've surveyed our students. The feedback was incredibly positive. And one area that they've identified that they want to improve in is their confidence. So again, going back to our moral imperative or our vision of, of empowering confident agile, reflective learners, that's a structure we're putting in place to support that. So we've got the young person in the centre, they're talking about their learning, they're driving their learning. It's not mum and dad, it's not the teacher sitting there, but actually it's them talking about their learning. So that was an incredible process um, that I'm, I'm really proud of, that our staff have been able to support our kids to begin that process of developing those vital skills that when they leave school, Employees are saying, we're not seeing those for the most part. Uh, it's not good enough to be able to regurgitate content or, or, or knowledge. We want to know how you apply that. So we also are starting regular focus groups. So it's actually having a dozen students around the table and asking them questions about how things are going. So we talk about their learning. What's working well for you? What's working well for you in the 100 minutes? What are you enjoying? What are you not enjoying? So we're getting really valuable feedback. So they're they're helping to shape the practice of our teachers. Our approach for our 100 minutes learning sessions particularly is based around that gradual release of responsibility as well. We're a member of the Future Schools Alliance, so I've, uh, I've had some good support from Peter Hutton. Peter visited um, a couple of months ago and his comments was he was really impressed by the community. He felt that the teacher was a little bit too much at the centre, but I said to Peter, well, we have to give that time. These are skills that we need to develop in our young people. It doesn't happen overnight. So gradually, we're releasing that responsibility to our young people for them to drive that learning. That self-directed, self-regulated learning is a vital skill that we factor into our programming. We factor into when we, we curate our, our 
lessons and teachers are architects of learning. So that's, at, at the, that's front and centre in terms of um, the decisions we make in the classroom. Well, it, is it the teacher driving this or is it the student driving this? So gradually we're hanging it over to the student. I think what you're sharing and really illustrating really powerfully is that you're a new community and you're a community that is committed to this kind of organic process of co-construction where everyone involved in this community is developing the habits, the culture, the learning, the relationships going forward. And uh, it's great to have people come in with a critical eye from the outside and, and, and give critiques about whether one's at the centre or one's not at the centre. But what I'm really hearing powerfully is that Scott is a leader that understands the strength of iteration and incremental growth. And that at each stage of that kind of design thinking protocol, you're inviting feedback from all the key stakeholders about testing the temperature of what's working and what's not working and allowing it at any given time to happen organically and allow the, the, the adult to have ownership as well as the young person to have increased ownership. And I feel that you're going to find that because you're providing these young people with such uh, important grounding around not just learner agency, but learner ownership and an intrinsic motivation to want to be better than they were yesterday. Once you get them into their year nine and 10 levels, and once you get them into those post-compulsory years where you, where, where you might have a bit more restriction around a HSC, you're going to see them really flourish because they're going to take ownership about that and have real clarity about where they want to go. I want to take this question one step further because we've, we've focused a lot on the student in this paradigm. But I'm also getting a sense, Phil, that Scott is a leader that enters into the space of permission for his staff and that he trusts in their professional capacity to undertake the mission of the school and define what that mission of that school is. Scott, why is permissioning of the adults important to you? Yeah, that's a, that's a great point. It's, um, I was only having this conversation with, uh, with Peter, our assistant principal, uh, just yesterday. And it's about allowing our staff as professionals to take risks. Mm -hmm. And I have no issue with that. Clearly, risks in terms of pushing the boundaries and bringing their own flavour into their teaching. And um, I have no issue with that whatsoever because they need to feel empowered as well. And our vision statement is not just for our, our students. So empowering confident, agile, reflective learners, when we do this vision statement, was for our, our learning community. So it's for our staff as well. It's for me as well. So our staff, I, I've, I've had one staff member say, oh, she's really enjoying it because often I say yes, and she's used to no in terms of her wanting to test ideas in line with our vision. And that creates a great sense of ownership of their own practice. Mm -hmm. And practice in the classroom should not be so formulaic that they have to stick to that all the time, but we have to trust them as professionals. Uh, and if you need to have a conversation, if something's going, going off, off task, you have that conversation. But basically you start from a platform that, yes, you're professionals, you've entered our community as uh, highly respected, trusted professionals, and we're, and, and we're, and we're delighted to have you. Um, so we want them to, have to feel that they have that freedom within their classrooms. Scott, I'm really interested in the very open approach that you've adopted all the way through with your school. You've consistently, in your preparation and in its inception, I'm going to ask you a question about its, its future in a moment, but where you are right now, you're very keen to look outside and see what's happening and invite people into your community. 
why is being open and going beyond the boundaries of your school and ex expertise important to you and the team? And number two, how are you going to keep it open? Yeah, so um, I think it goes back to what Adrian was saying initially is that personally, my own journey has I have I have taken myself outside my comfort zone and I've learned so much from all the schools I've been at. You always take away some, some new learnings from your new environment uh, when you challenge yourself. We're, we've been so we're part of the Maple Newcastle Diocese. Um, I'm really fortunate to have uh, a director and a system that has empowered me with this vision and been very supportive. But at the same time, when we recruited this year, we have I think it's 21 or 22 teaching staff to, to kick off. Now, about half of those staff have come from outside our diocese. And typically speaking, traditionally, um, there's movement within the diocese. Probably you don't attract as many people from outside the system. <clears throat> so what I was pleased with it was that we actually, we really promoted our vision um, and we really put it out there. And we've got um, you know, someone from Adelaide, we've got someone from Victoria, uh, from Bathurst, from the Snowy Mountains. So it, I think our diocese was quite struck at, wow, you've got quite a few new people from outside the system here. And it's wonderful to bring those people in with different ideas and different experiences. And that, that adds to the richness of your, your learning community. So moving forward, uh, we will maintain that mentality. So we're just about to come up to a, our next recruitment stage for our leadership positions for next year. We will probably have about 14 or 15 new staff next year. So that when you talk about culture, that's a challenge for us is that we've got a tight knit group of staff now. How do we ensure that we onboard our new staff so they also feel a, a genuine part of that team and culture? And that's something that's uh, very much front of mind for us. So moving forward, I think it's been open to, um, to recruiting uh, educators from far and wide, wherever they may have come from, acknowledging their experience and, and their different experiences, but best just keeping the, the blinkers off that um, absolutely we've got some quality staff within our diocese, but also there's, there's some great educators out there who might want to be part of our diocese and part of Catherine McCauley. So uh, what we do, um, Bill, we really look to... When we recruited, one, one big thing that we focused on was, um, was character and appointing staff that we feel will be a good cultural fit, of good character, um, certainly great practitioners. Experience wasn't absolutely key for me. We're, we're probably erring on the side of less experience and younger teaching staff, but they are really willing to uh, take on the vision um, they are great with our young people. Um, they're focused on relationships and they can connect with the kids. So irrespective of experience, it's appointing and not just the skills or talent, they have to have the character. Okay, so let's talk about that character then because part of high-performance character is a combination of restlessness and relentlessness. And, and that means that 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 combination of humility and willpower and the, the capacity to bridge the apparently irreconcilable gap between those two and you know that's that's Jim Collins good to great stuff and you know you, you could talk about that you know in terms of sweep the shed that's the humility and and the willpower that's the relentlessness that's the restlessness that's the drive towards improvement you're six months in tell us something that you've done that you've decided that you don't want to do and what would you do differently that's a good question, Phil. I, I, I've got to think about that. Something that I've done that I wouldn't, I wouldn't do again. Uh, look, I think probably I, I, overall, nothing's ever per I mean, perfect, but I, I'm incredibly happy with where we are culturally right now. Probably in hindsight, 
we've introduced a couple of new programs. One's a design, Adriana mentioned before, the design thinking uh, principles. And we've introduced a new design thinking program. Now I think, and, and you can get some, some really good ideas from, from, from different schools, but I think one thing that I've learned in time is that you, it has to be contextualized. So you, you can't pick something up from elsewhere that's absolutely thriving and just transplant it into your current context. Mm -hmm. So we have a, a unique community um, in Port Stephens here in, in New South Wales um, that has their own, I guess, their, their own particular culture here, like, like all communities. But just probably understanding the culture a little bit better before implementing the program. Now, in time, you mentioned iterations before, Adriana, we've, we have had different iterations of this course and program. And it's come along in leaps and bounds. But I think initially, just that misunderstanding about you, you've got to make sure you know the interests and the needs of your kids uh, that you're caring for before you really move forward with a new and unique program. So we've kind of stripped it back a little bit, engage, get some feedback from the kids and from our staff in knowing the kids. We've had some different iterations, and now I think we're getting more on the money with it. But initially, I think it was just getting some good ideas from elsewhere, and we had so much on yeah we'll, we'll put that in there but it didn't hit the mark initially we had to learn from that so just for our listeners who are tuning in to this particular conversation with scott i want you to know that we had a number of questions that we were going to ask him in relation to things like critical thinking creativity problem solving adaptability persistence uh, social and emotional learning we've decided not to ask you those questions scott because what has been really profound in this conversation is that you've already given us examples of those in spades and you've actually provided our audience with a deep insight of how to embed those type of things in practice. So when learning communities and leaders and educators say, we can't do it, it's too hard, you've actually provided us with an insight and a bit of a roadmap of how you can do it. Now, we know, as you just pointed out then, it can't be for every single context. And we have to think about our local context and what's the right fit. But there's a real commitment in the mission of the Catherine McCauley Catholic College around helping each young person and the adults in their lives unlock their true north, tap into their emotional competency, tap into the, the strength and the, the power and the profoundness of self-determination, tap into self-regulation and learner agency and ownership. But at the same time, you mentioned, you know, Indicative Hours being committed to foundational kind of knowledge of literacy and numeracy that, and science thinking and digital technologies that, are, that we know are still fundamentals that build the confidence they need. There's so much going on here in your community and your challenge of course is, is probably what Phil alluded to and that is how are you gonna maintain it every time you introduce a wave of new colleagues in and you've even alluded to that. I wanna now speak less about others. I wanna just focus now on you on my final question. Phil's curated this course around the notion of a life of purpose. You've given us a little bit of a window into your life of purpose, but I'm just gonna ask it directly. What is your life of purpose? My life of purpose, that's a very good question, but put it simply, uh, first and foremost, this probably doesn't have much to do with education, but it's to do with my family, um, is to ensure that I'm the, the best husband and father that I can be. Uh, but flowing from that, in my upbringing, um, I've got a very close family. Um, uh, I've, I've had a, a very fortunate upbringing of, of having two beautiful parents and two sets of beautiful grandparents, uh, and values have been really instilled in me that I'm proud of. So my purpose is to hopefully inspire 
my community to experience the same. Uh, despite the fact that our young people come from many different life circumstances, many different family dynamics, as well as our staff, but how can I allow them to share some of that wisdom and that experience that I've had that has been so profound in shaping me as a person and as a professional? How can I bring that love of life and learning and those values of investing in your relationships challenging yourself to get yourself outside your comfort zone and to be the best person you can be, how can I bring that into Catherine McCauley or into, the, into our college community here? Inspiring our staff, inspiring our kids, inspiring our families to live a purposeful life underpinned by our Catholic values and our faith to really live a life of, of meaning and a life of real purpose. Thank you for that, Scott. I want to take you from that family-oriented sense of what your purpose is and jump into your professional practice and and we're, we're we're really right at the end now so let's let's speed date this question what are your three tips for our listeners around a high performance learning culture for staff and students within the community of inquiry and practice and you can't say sweep the sheds because you've said that already <laughs> <laughs> yeah so th three tips for the community would be uh first of all to in invest in relationships Second tip would be develop a community that has feels a safety and a trust to actually have those challenging conversations uh, and to challenge your practice, to not settle with mediocrity, but to continually challenge what you're doing. Uh, the third would be to ensure that you stick to your vision and to plan well ahead into the future and, and be strategic in what you do. So today, Phil, we've been really fortunate to sit down with a foundational principle of a, of a new learning community. And at the top of this show, he explored that the school culture that's mercy-inspired is about one that empowers confidence, being agile, and highly reflective learners. So they can ultimately thrive in this kind of very complex and rapidly changing world. How profound is it that the leader of this school community has modeled all of those things? There's so much intentionality in, in what you sh have shared with us today, Scott, around the work that you do. Then there is this agile element to it because it's about being adaptive to it and being and understanding the sign of our times. And that last component about being reflective, well, it all comes in that restlessness that is often born in moments of deep reflection and contemplation. I just want to say thank you very much for your time. Thank you very much for your continued commitment. And I can clearly see the strong Marist values being lived out uh, in your community. And I'm glad that uh, I know that you kept using the word presence and we know that's one of the five Marist pillars. But for me, the one that uh, is clear that you live and live every day is the one of simplicity. Simplicity, modesty and humility. Uh, you're a great poster boy for that, mate. And, and I'm sure the Marist will be extremely proud and, and the people in your community will continue to be blessed to have someone like you that is open to their possibility. Thank you very much. Thanks, Adrian. Thanks, Phil. Enjoy the chat. Game Changers is a podcast for those who want to change the game of school. Produced by Oliver Cummins for Orbital Productions and powered by a school for tomorrow, Game Changers is available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play and SoundCloud. Tell your friends and don't forget to subscribe. Let's go.